Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Donald Gray Barnhouse. He pastored the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania from 1927 until his death in 1960. He was a theologian who commanded a wealth of knowledge in various fields such as history, language, and literature. Barnhouse was a pioneer in preaching over the radio. His program was known as the Bible Study Hour. In 1949, he began a weekly in-depth study of the Book of Romans on his program, which lasted until his death. Today's message is taken from Romans chapter 8, verse 23, focusing on the redemption of our bodies. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee for the hope that is ours in Christ, not only in this life, but also in the resurrection and in the life to come. We pray thee that this day the Holy Spirit shall bring great comfort to all those who have trusted in Christ, and that there may be conviction brought upon those who do not know thee, that they may turn from their ways that are contrary to thy will, and to put their trust in the Savior whom thou hast provided. We ask these things in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we study in the 8th chapter of Romans, verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. God tells us that we are to be raised from the dead. We are told that this resurrection of our bodies is a redemption for which the whole creation waits. The groaning of the animate and the inanimate creation continues until the day when we who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ shall know the fullness of our salvation and receive our eternal bodies. What shall be the nature of our resurrection? At once we must begin by saying that it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We have already seen that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. How shall human minds comprehend the infinite? How shall our minds, which have no experience beyond our narrow bounds of time and earth, be able to grasp the eternal and the heavenly? Therefore, any study which may we may make of our eternal state is necessarily limited and incomplete. Nevertheless, there are many indications in the Bible of the nature of our resurrection, and God has put these before us for our profit. First, we must see that our resurrection body is linked with the resurrection body of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as our resurrection is linked to us. We read in 1 John 3, 2, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And thus the Holy Spirit speaks through John in the New Testament. While in the Psalms, David cried, I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. A great passage in the Philippian epistle concludes, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change the body of our humiliation, so that it may be fashioned like unto his glorified body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things 
unto himself. Now these passages leave no doubt that the resurrection is to be a material reality and that our resurrection bodies will be like that in which our Lord Jesus Christ came forth from the grave on the day of his resurrection. Let us look, therefore, at the resurrection of our Savior in order to find what has been revealed to us about the nature of his resurrection body. It was a tangible, material body, and yet it was not a body that was subject to the laws that govern our material bodies in which we live today. Let us consider first the likenesses of his resurrection body to our present bodies. His was a body that could be seen with the human eyes. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, we read. He was seen of Peter, and then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. They saw the Lord, they recognized and identified him as Jesus. Then it was a body which could be touched with the human hand. The disciples were terrified when he appeared in their midst, and they supposed that they had seen a ghost. But Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. The same verses also show that it was a body whose voice could be heard by the human ear. On the third occasion, when the Lord revealed himself to his disciples, they were returning to shore after a night of fishing in which they had caught nothing. The Lord commanded them to cast in their nets on the right side of the ship, and they brought forth the second miraculous draft of fishes. When they had come to the shore, they saw that the Lord had a fire built, and fish were broiling thereon. And the Lord then invited the disciples to come and dine with him. So therefore we must see that the body which our Lord possessed after his resurrection was one that could and did eat food in a normal manner. Now, by all of these many evidences, we conclude that the body which the Lord possessed after the resurrection must be called a human body, functioning like the bodies which we now possess. On the other hand, the differences between the resurrection body of Christ and our present bodies can be seen in several statements of the New Testament. First, when the angels rolled away the stone from the door of the tomb in which the body of Christ had been laid, they did not do it in order to let Christ out, but in order to let the disciples in. The Lord had arisen, and not bound by the physical laws which govern our bodies, he had passed through material things to appear beyond in a recognizable form. His body had been wrapped around and around with the linen of the burial, with the spices spread between the layers of the cloth. When he arose, he passed through the body wrappings, leaving them in the shape of his body, but empty of that body. It was when Peter and John went into the tomb and saw the clothes that they were convinced of the resurrection. After passing through the linen clothes and the walls of the tomb, the Lord Jesus Christ passed through the walls into the upper room where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. For we read in John 20, 
the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood in the midst. Still another difference between the Lord's resurrection body and our present body can be seen from a comparison of two verses in the New Testament. In the great resurrection chapter, Paul says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now in death, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was removed from his body. When he rose from the dead, he said to the skeptical disciples, handle me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as ye see that I have. Uh-huh, how amazingly wonderful is the way in which every verse fits into every other verse so that there is no possible contradiction in the revelation which God has given to us concerning his son. Yet another difference between the Lord's resurrection body and our present body is that his body was not subject to disintegration and decay as is ours. When he died, he descended into paradise, which was then in hell. But it was not possible that he should have been held fast by death. Thus it was prophesied and fulfilled, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, the final difference between our Lord's resurrection body and our present bodies is that he was able to move without restraint of gravity and to travel with the speed of thought. At the first morning of his resurrection, he met Mary and said to her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. Later, the same evening, he appeared to the disciples and said, Handle me. The inference is inescapable. Between the time when he told Mary not to touch him and told the disciples to touch him, he had been to heaven and had returned. Now, we cannot think that he lived hidden in the desert during the days between his resurrection and the day on which he let his disciples see him go into heaven. It is much more reasonable, both in human logic and in spiritual thought, that the Lord lived in heaven and manifested himself to his disciples on the recorded occasions. Finally, lest they be looking for him, he allowed himself to be seen as he ascended into heaven on the last of the occasions. Then they knew he had gone and were in no anxiety about his absence. Now with all of this knowledge in hand, we can begin to build up certain knowledge about our own resurrection state. We will have bodies like that which the Lord Jesus Christ had at his resurrection. Bodies that can be seen, heard, touched, and which are able to partake of food. Bodies that are flesh and bone. Yet these bodies cannot be under the control of the normal laws of physics as we know them, since they can pass through material objects and are capable of traveling with the speed of thought from earth to heaven and back again according to our desire that God does not hide from us a considerable knowledge of what lies before us is certain from a lengthy passage of Scripture which treats of the nature of our resurrection bodies. The question is asked and answered. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up 
and with what body do they come? Foolish one, that which you plant is not made alive except it die. And what you plant, you do not plant the body that shall be, but bare grain, for example, wheat or some other grain. But God giveth each grain a body as he is pleased to do, and to every seed its own type of body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The human body is buried in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. It is buried in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is buried in weakness. It is raised in power. I've quoted at length from 1 Corinthians 15, the end of the chapter. Now we interrupt the narrative to look at some of these things in closer detail. The principle is first established that life comes out of death. This is true in nature, and it is true in grace. In nature, the seed dies and brings forth thirtyfold, sixtyfold, one hundredfold. In grace, we are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, and we are also joined to him in his resurrection. In the sight of God, the matter has already been accomplished. It is on the grounds of this eternal certainty that he can appeal to us for present holy living in the light of certain eternal resurrection life. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Now the funeral of a human body is a sad thing from the human point of view. The body is a decaying thing. Martha was correct in crying out, Lord, by this time he stinketh, since her brother had been dead four days. But the resurrection is the opposite of corruption. The body comes forth from the grave in an eternal state, like the incorruptible body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Further, the body goes into the grave in a state of dishonor, Death is a symbol of the work of the enemy, Satan, and while he has been put to naught and his power exposed as worthless, the result of his seduction is still manifest in the universe. Every time that there is a funeral, there is proved in the black pageantry of death and dissolution that God was true when he told Adam, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. Spiritual death is separation from God. And though spiritual death was overcome for us in the death of our Savior, the outward visible symbol of what we were in Adam is played down to the last line of the earthly drama. The sting of death is sin. Oh, how different the resurrection. The body is raised in glory. There is nothing that can be said about the body of the Lord Jesus beside the question of the marks of his wounds that cannot be said about our bodies in the resurrection. It is raised in glory. 
The further sentence adds but little. The body is buried in weakness, but it is raised in power. There is no argument possible about the weakness of a dead body. Even though it was the body of a great athlete, it can no more run or wrestle. But the resurrection shall be in power. Even though it was the body of a hopeless cripple, it can now do all that the body of the eternal Son of God can do. Again, we continue with the narrative. It is buried as a soulish body. It is raised a spiritual body. And as though to answer all objections of men, God continues, there is a soulish body and there is a spiritual body. Now, we must not be confused by these adjectives. There have been those who have thought that spiritual body meant an intangible body, a ghostly thing without substance. As we have seen, we may not hold such an interpretation. The evidence of a material, tangible body is too much and too overpowering in its conclusiveness. To explain the difference between the two bodies, I have often used a very simple illustration, which is much better understood when I can enact it visibly than when I tell it in words. Often before audiences, when I have spoken on our resurrection, I show in this manner. I hold in my hand a small book, and I say that this book represents my natural body. It is a body that by habit and inclination is dominated by my old soul. Only by the power of grace has there been any continuing victory over the flesh and its motions. Inside the book, as I hold it in my hand, and barely visible at one edge of the book, I place a large piece of paper folded so that it may be almost hidden. For that piece of paper represents my soul and spirit. In my present state today, you can see my body, but the spirit is hidden. The soul is known by the way it makes the body act. Its presence is there as a dominating factor. Then in my illustration, suddenly I remove the paper from the book and hold it high above my head. Death has come to me, and the soul and spirit are immediately with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To depart is to be with Christ, which is far better. Then, when after I've shown this moment of death by the separation of the spirit from the body, I hide the book underneath the pulpit. This represents the burial of the body. Generally, about three days after the soul and the spirit have gone out from it. Three days in our civilization. Generally the same day in most civilizations. Now, that represents the present state of our loved ones who have gone before us. The body is in the grave. The soul and the spirit are with God. My next move is to start bringing the book up from beneath the pulpit and the paper down from above. For the resurrection of the bodies of the believer must be understood as being two-directional. The important passage of Scripture relating to the nature of what might be called the mechanics of the resurrection is the famous paragraph in Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 4. I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
even so them also which sleep in Jesus God will bring with him. Now the important directional word is bring with. Bring with, bring with. The soul and the spirit are with the Lord Jesus in heaven, and the body is asleep in the earth. The soul and the spirit Christ will bring with, bring with, bring with him. This is one of the verbs which indicates the downward movement of the soul and spirit. But another verse in the paragraph continues, For the Lord himself shall descend, descend, descend from heaven with a shout. Now this still refers to the movement of the Lord Jesus from heaven downward to the earth, bringing the souls and spirits of all believers with him. And now the directional verb changes. For we read, And the dead in Christ shall rise, rise, rise. And when I tell this story in front of the public, I shake the paper open to its largest dimension as I underline the verbs of descent, bringing the souls and the spirits down from heaven. Then as I underline the verb of rising, I bring the book from beneath the pulpit. Finally, I cover the book with the paper so that its form may be divined, but the paper remains the eye-catching thing. Now in this rough and childish way, I try to present the nature of our resurrection. As we put the body into the ground, it is a body from which the soul and spirit have departed. A soul and spirit which were invisible throughout this lifetime, even though the fallen soul did dominate the body and its motions. But in the resurrection, the role is reversed. The body is there, but it is now a body that is dominated by the new spirit. We have been made partakers of the divine nature, and that new spirit will forever control every phase of our being. In passing, let me point out that as the body is put into the ground, a body from which the soul and spirit have departed, this means that no believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will take too much interest in the cemetery. It is all right to go there once a year or twice a year on memorial days or armistice days, and see that the place is well kept, and that perhaps flowers are placed upon the tomb. But no believer should ever be hanging around a grave. We know that the soul and spirits of our loved ones are in heaven, are with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we look, and our homesickness is not for a plot in the cemetery, in the graveyard, but rather our homesickness is for heaven. Now the Corinthian passage continues, showing that as we have borne the image of the earthy Adam since the fall, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly Lord Jesus because of our redemption. There is then a paragraph which reminds us that there will be one generation of believers living on the earth at the time of the second coming of Christ and the redemption of our bodies. This generation will not pass through the tomb but will know the glory and the joy of having their living bodies transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to be like the resurrection bodies of all who have gone ahead in the more painful process of death and dissolution. And how can any believer living today fail to cry out, Oh, please God, that it might be our generation, that it might be we who shall see the Lord Jesus Christ in his coming. The redemption of our bodies 
This is our text. The redemption of our bodies for which we wait. The creation groans waiting for this moment. In our bodies we groan waiting for this moment. The Holy Spirit groans within us while we continue this watching, waiting life. Everything is moving toward the supreme triumph for which we have been created. Is it any wonder that the Spirit sings forth in one of the most majestic utterances of the whole revealed word of truth? The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Such glorious truth demands glorious living while we wait for the day. So the Spirit cries, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And our God and Father, we pray thee that every one of us who has this hope in himself may purify himself, even as our Lord Jesus is pure. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, thine exiles long for home. Show in the heavens thy promised sign, thou Prince and Savior, come. We ask these things, our God, in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers. 